Amen. I love the Word of God, don't you? And uh, thank God for the truth of it and for the power of it. Psalm 130, verse number 1. A song of degrees. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waited for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they which watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. With him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a wonderful book you've given us. This is not just a book, this is God's Word, and we thank you for it. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this particular psalm that you've directed my heart to today. And Lord, I, I, I thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, it stirred my heart this afternoon. Help us, Lord, uh, to deliver it as you gave it to us. And what you do, we'll thank you, and we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As we've said, we've been preaching a little bit, I guess, since May through these Psalms of Degrees. Uh, they go from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And so when we conclude this message, I think we'll have three or four left. I think we'll have, we'll have four left when we conclude this sermon tonight, God willing. We know the word degrees means ascent. It means a lifting up. And we've dealt with all that, how most people believe that they picture the 15 steps that led up to the temple and they would uh, sing these psalms as they entered into the house of God to worship. In this particular psalm, we find that the psalmist in the first six verses of this eight-verse psalm shares his personal experience. And then in the latter two verses, verse 7 and 8, he gives a public exhortation. In other words, he is telling Israel, what he is sharing with them is he's saying, I have lived this. I have been through this. I have walked through these circumstances. I have been through this. And so as I was reading that and meditating upon that thought, this title came to my heart. I want to preach on, I've been there and God's done that. You know, a lot of people say, I've been there, done that. Well, I've been there, but I hadn't done that. But I'm glad in this psalm we can look and say, I've been there, and God's done that. Amen. And I want to say three or four things out of this psalm. First of all, I know his desperate prayer. Look at verse number 1 and 2. Out of the depths cry, have I cried unto, the, uh, unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. We know that many of these psalms, are, as they are songs, but they also are prayers. They also are words of supplication. This is no different in Psalm 130. We note, first of all, the circumstance of his prayer. He said, out of the depths. This word depths refers to the lowliness of his situation. In fact, this word gives the idea of sinking down in mud or mire. The first mention of this word depths, the Hebrew word, is in Psalm 69, where he said, I sink down in deep mire, where there is no standing. I am come in the deep water where the waters where the floods overflow me that's where the psalmist feels like he is at he is down in a low place and not only is it a low place but he's going deeper and deeper and deeper 
you ever gotten a mud hole or, or, or gotten a little marsh somewhere and stepped down and it felt like you were going deeper and deeper the further you went the lower you got that's where the psalmist feels like in, the, in this text tonight and I will tell you there's going to be times in this life where the further you go with God and the further you go in problems and circumstances it feels like you're not getting any higher but you're going lower and lower and you're sinking down in the deep mire I know the circumstance but then we know his cry he said out of the depths have I cried unto thee O Lord that word cried it means to utter a loud sound for help I will tell you tonight if I stepped off in quicksand and I couldn't get out I would not be saying would somebody please come by and help me would somebody take a moment and please stop out of your busy day and help me I'm going to be saying somebody help me get a, get something pull me out of here that's what the psalmist is doing in this text he is crying out with a loud voice he is saying God I got to have some help what I love about what the psalmist is doing he knew who to cry to when he got stuck in the mire he didn't cry for anybody else he didn't call for anybody else but he said he cried unto the Lord amen so we note the circumstance and we note the cry, but then we note the call in verse number two. Lord, hear my supplicate, hear, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. That word hear, it means to listen. And the word attentive means to be heedful, to be intent, to be observant. In other words, don't just listen to me, but look at me while you're listening to me. How many of y'all have ever had your spouse accuse you of not listening to them. But you heard them say, you're not listening to me. That proves the point we were listening the whole time. We'd say, I heard you say, I'm not listening to you, amen. What they mean by that, I think, and it's hard to figure out the females, but I think what they mean is, you're hearing me, but you're not being attentive to me. Is that right, ladies? Okay, well... <laughs> write it down boys we finally figure something out <laughs> what I'm telling you what I'm saying is you're listening you're hearing the words but you're not paying attention you're not being attentive to what I'm saying you know what we'll say is man I heard every word you said we're not lying we did <laughs> just like most things we just didn't understand what they said <laughs> what I'm saying is the psalmist saying God I just don't need you to hear me and listen to me I need you to look my direction be attentive to my situation so that is his desperate prayer. But then notice his declared proposition. Verse number 3. Watch what he says in verse 3. If thou shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? I know the Lord Almighty in this verse. He said, if thou, Lord. As we've stated in another message, we meant it this morning. We said it this morning. God is the judge and God is all-knowing and God knows all about your sin and your failures and your shortcomings. And thus, when the psalmist makes this proposition, he realizes that God knows the full extent of his sin, transgression, and iniquity. There's the Lord Almighty, but then there's the large account. He said, Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquities. Webster in his dictionary said that word mark means to notice to take particular observation of. The word iniquities means perversity, depravity, 
or guilt. The first mention of this word uh, 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 iniquities is the Hebrew is translated the Hebrew word in Genesis six uh, four thirteen as the word punishment. And when Cain realized the judgment of God on him, Cain said, "My punishment is greater than I can bear." I remind you, that's what sin will do to you tonight. It'll take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, uh, keep you longer you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever want to pay. Sin always weighs down on you and I. So there is the Lord Almighty, there is the large account, and there is the lacking ability. He said, oh, Lord, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who shall stand? The word stand here means to stand upright, or to remain standing. In other words, the psalmist is stating that if God began to mark out and to identify all of our sins, transgressions, and iniquities, none of us will be able to stand because of the guilt and the load of sin that is on our shoulders. Well, preacher, I'm not that bad. Well, the Bible said if you've broken the law in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. 613 commandments and if you broke one you're guilty of all of them and I, I dare say in fact I know that all of us tonight we have broken at least one of God's laws thus making us guilty of all of the sins uh, of, of, of breaking the entire being a lawbreaker of God God said thou shalt and man did not God said thou shalt not and that's what man did we are depraved in our sin nature we are wicked there is none that doeth good no not one all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and I'm telling you your sins begin stacking up and they begin growing and growing and growing and growing I'm telling you I've, I've done enough since I've been saved to deserve to go to hell just because of what I've done and what I haven't done and because who I am and who I've not been and if God were to mark all of my sins and lay them all out and point them out one by one by one by one, oh Lord, who shall stand? I'm telling you tonight, that's why man can't get to heaven by his own pulling on his own bootstraps. Man can't get to heaven by doing better or by being a better person because man is wicked and he is lost without God. I tell you, joining the church won't get you saved. Being baptized in the baptistry won't get you saved. I tell you, being a better person won't get you saved. You know why? Because if God should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who shall stand? That is the that is the proposition in this text, the declared proposition. But then I want you to notice the definite pardon. Look at verse number four. Note the conjunction. But hey man, aren't you glad when things were going the bad direction? Oh Lord, if you should mark all of my iniquities, if you should line all my sins up, oh Lord, who shall be able to stand? But in other words, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the song. That's not the end of the chapter. But God wrote another verse. There's another line. Aren't you glad for all those times when God butted in your life? The Bible said in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God committed his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, uh, Ephesians 2 says that in times past you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers in the covenant of promise, having no hope. And without God in 
in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm glad even, even though my sins are mounting up, but God, even though things look bad in my life, but God, even though I deserve to go to hell, but God, there's the conjunction in this text. But then there is the certainty in this text. But there is. He didn't say there might. He didn't say there may. He said there is. There's the comfort in this text. But there is forgiveness with thee. Thank God for that tonight, forgiveness. Now if you're perfect tonight, and I'm saying that facetiously, but if you're perfect tonight and you've got it all together, forgiveness don't mean anything to you. But I'll tell you, if you've dropped the ball, if you've missed the mark, if you've felt God, if you've said things you shouldn't have said, if you've acted ways you shouldn't have acted, if you've missed the mark, this verse means something to you. My iniquity's piled up. How can I stand? But there is forgiveness with thee. Aren't you glad we serve a God tonight? who is in the sin-forgiven business. Now, I got blessed reading the dictionary today. That word forgiveness, Webster said it means the act of forgiving to pardon an offender by which he is considered and treated as not guilty. That's what the word forgiveness means. Now, if that means that he treats me as though I'm not guilty, that means he treats me as though I'm innocent. Now, we both know I'm not innocent. We both know the guilt of sin was on me, but watch what he did. He treated his son like he was guilty, and he was innocent. And he treats me like I'm innocent, even though I was guilty. Somebody say, you got any Bible for that? Got a little bit. For he was made for he. hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. The Bible said that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastise of our people was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone in his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all but aren't you glad even though God treated his son like he was guilty who did no sin neither was God found his mouth but he treats you and I like we've never done anything wrong we have been justified we have been saved we have been reconciled to God so I said preacher I look at my sin death and I look at what I've done and who my I am and it bounds up on me oh Lord who shall stand but there is forgiveness with thee aren't you glad tonight he washed your sins away and he made you a new anybody listen to me and he made you a new creature you're not what you used to be your sins are gone thank God you ask me why I'm happy so I'll tell you why because my sins are gone he treats that forgiveness means he treats the guilty like they're innocent. You know God's better to you than he was to his own son? Jesus said, Foxes have holes, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. We can't say that tonight. We have a home. We have a bed. We have a pillow. But Jesus didn't have that on this earth. God is better to us than he was to his son. You know what else? Uh, uh, the Bible says that Christ died for the ungodly. He did no wrong. But the just 
died for the unjust. Jesus on the cross cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But we cry, let us therefore come boldly. And we can find over there, and we boldly say, The Lord is my helper, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I say God's been better to us than he was to his son. In fact, that's all spiritual blessings that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. I've given this before. But the difference between justice, mercy, and grace is if a man took the life of your son and you found that man and killed that man and took his life, that's justice. If a man had took the life of your son and you found that man and you forgave that man, that'd be mercy. But if a man took the life of your son and you found that man and you said, Sir, I forgive you and I want you to come to my home, sleep in my boy's bed, eat at his place at the table, take his place in the family, that wouldn't be justice, that wouldn't be mercy, that'd be grace. And that's exactly what we did. We were guilty of crucifying the Lord of glory. But we are now no longer servants, but we are sons and we are part of the family of God. How that happen? Because there is forgiveness with thee. But then notice the cause that thou mayest be feared. See, a lot of people, they want to treat the mercy of God and take the mercy of God for granted. But the whole reason that God forgives us, according to this verse, is so that we'll fear Him. That word fear just does not mean to be afraid of, but it means to reverence. This particular word means to stand in awe of. So I said, preacher, how do you stand in awe? I want you to think about how wicked you are. Things you've said things you've done, places you've went, ways you shouldn't have acted, faults that you've went through your mind that you wouldn't want nobody to know. And you went to God and confessed it and forsook it and He forgave you. I don't know about you, that makes me stand in awe. Of a God that big, with blood that red, that can make me this clean. So there is the desperate prayer, the declared proposition, the definite pardon. There's the displayed practice. Look at verse 5. Notice his disposition. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. The word wait here means to look for. It means to hope. It means to have an expectation of. The Bible said in Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. That's his disposition in verse 5. But also notice his dependence in verse 5. And in his word do I hope. Preacher, we're, we're living. We're expecting the Lord to come back. We're living for that blessed hope. But how are we going to make it? In his word do I hope. God didn't give you a Bible for you to sit on the coffee table all through the week and then pick it up on Sunday to come to church and blow the dust off of it. If you're not reading your Bible every day, you're not right with God. Amen. That's just, that's just the simple truth. If you're not reading the Word of God every day, you're not right with God. Men bled and died so we could have this King James Bible tonight. I don't know of anybody that bled and died so we could have an NIV or a New King James or an ESV, but I can give you a lot of lists of men who died so we could have a King James Bible. Amen. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 1, or verse 10, verse 11, that all these things happen to us, happen to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. God's given you a Bible. Notice his diligence in verse 6. I'm almost done. My soul waited for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. He's not, 
at a loss for words. But this is that Jewish poetry that reemphasizes and repeats. He says, more than they that watch for the morning, my soul waits for the Lord. Now think about this little phrase. More than they that watch for the morning. You know, it don't matter the duration of a night. You ever say, boy, that's a long night. It don't matter the difficulty of the night. It don't matter the darkness of the night. Morning always comes. You get that? It's coming in the nighttime now. But either way, tomorrow, even if Jesus comes, the sun's going to come up in the morning. Morning's going to come. So you know what that means? If I'm waiting on the Lord like those that wait for the morning, <laughs> He's going to show up. He's going to be there when we need it. So I said, Preacher, how do you say this message is, I've been there, done that? Well, notice his declaration. Been there and God's done that. Look at verse 7 and 8. Now he turns his attention to a public exhortation. Notice his declaration. We're done. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For the Lord, for the Lord there is mercy. With him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You know what he's looking at the Israel and saying? I, I've been there. And God done that. I was in a desperate situation and I cried. And God heard me. I was wicked. Had iniquities in my heart. And God forgave me. I'm waiting on the Lord and I'm depending on His Word. And God's been faithful. I've been there. And God's done that. Have any of you tonight had a been there and God done that moment? Over and over again in our life, we can say, you know what, I've been there and God done that. Elijah could say, I was down there by the book chair. Didn't know what I was going to do, but I've been there and God done that. Amen, amen. Daniel could say in the den of lions, I've been there and God done that. Them disciples in the storm could testify to you and I tonight and say, I've been there and God done that. And I could pass a microphone around this congregation tonight and people could testify about situations and needs and burdens and problems that you've been through in your life and you could say, I have been there and God done that in my life. You know what that does? It encourages fellow believers. The reason God let this man write Psalm 130 is to encourage Israel that God is faithful. And it's it's encouraging us tonight, is it not? Because we have failures and we have faults, but there's forgiveness. We have times where we cry out to God in desperation and we're sinking deep in the mire. But God's faithful. We have time, and we're right now, you know what we're doing? We're waiting on the Lord. We understand we're waiting for the rapture of the church, but there are times we wait on the Lord in circumstances and in areas of our life. I know folks in our church that are praying about things right now, you know what they're doing? They're waiting on the Lord. They're waiting for God to give direction, God to give wisdom, God to give light. And I want to admonish you, don't be weary and well-doing. Don't get tired of waiting. Waiting time is not wasted time. God's teaching you things that you'll never forget during these days and during these times. Thank God for His faithfulness and for His kindness and for His mercy. And the psalmist encourages us tonight, saying, I've been there, and God's done that. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Times that you didn't know if you was going to make it, but you said that the last time. And here you are. You didn't think you was going to make it through. but you're, We ought to have t-shirts made up say, I've been there and God done that. Amen. I'm just telling you, he's faithful tonight, is he not? Let's stand. I appreciate your attention. I preached 23 minutes. I appreciate your attentiveness tonight. Brother Matthew's going to come play a verse invitation. We're supposed to go to the house. Maybe you just want to come pray tonight.
Maybe God spoke to your heart about His faithfulness, His kindness. Maybe you're going through a circumstance right now. Maybe you're waiting on the Lord. Maybe you're praying about something. I want to encourage you. Wait on the Lord. He'll give you light. He'll give you direction. He'll let you know what you need when you need it. Been there, and God's done that. He's faithful tonight, and I bless His name.